You're listening to Yumcha, a news podcast from Hong Kong Free Press, with me, Mercedes Hutton. This week, Matters of Security, with Regina Ip. In this episode, I sit down with Regina Ip, Hong Kong's former Secretary for Security and current convener of the Executive Council, the body that advises Chief Executive John Lee on policymaking decisions. During her tenure as security chief, Mrs. Ip spearheaded the legislation of security laws for Hong Kong, known locally as Article 23. And it was amid mass protests against this in 2003 that she stepped down from that post. Much has changed in the city since then, not least the imposition of a national security law by Beijing. But Article 23 remains on the administration's agenda, with Lee vowing to enact it by the end of 2024. We discussed this, the record low turnout for Hong Kong's first Patriots-only district council election, and what constitutes soft resistance, an ill-defined term increasingly used by officials that has been described as signalling a new chapter in a crackdown on dissent. I am here with the inimitable Mrs. Regina Ip, convener of top government advisory body, the Executive Council, elected lawmaker and chair of the New People's Party. Um, Welcome to our podcast. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. So let's begin with the district council election, which took place two days ago from when we are speaking. Um, Congratulations to the New People's Party. You won 15 seats um, with a particularly strong showing in the New Territories. Um, However, you, you failed to win any on Hong Kong Island, which you have attributed to the redrawn district. Yes. Do you mind expanding on that a little? And also the computer mm. system glitch. Right. Do you think that had an impact? Of course. Yeah. Of course. In a lot of middle class constituencies, Tai Ku Xing, Pok Fulam, mid levels, you know, you can see people going home. It's a Sunday, no yeah. domestic helper going mm. home with their food. You know, and I don't think they will come back. Right. You know, and uh, these are your strongholds. Yeah, correct? yeah. The and middle in class. places like uh, Pok Fulam, you can't use a Lao Hei. You know, uh, in Pok Fulam, you you can only reach out to the voters by waving on the street. You know, I can't. I couldn't really reach them, like in a public housing estate. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, some voters were very angry. You know, in South Horizon, we had to. A bow to our voters, ask them to come back to vote. So I think because, you know, my strongholds are the middle-class neighborhoods, you know, Taipusheng, South Horizon, uh, Chifu Garden, you know, so we, we were heavily affected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And who do, you, who do you blame for that failure? Government, of course. The people responsible for installing the IT system, mm-hmm. you know, they claim they managed to reactivate it by hand, but the situation actually varied from one polling station to another. Some were, some were reactivated quicker than the others. Mm-hmm. You know. mm. And they said they had uh, contingency plans in place, but for some polling stations, I understand, they took a long time to be implemented. Yeah, the contingency plan is the manual system. Mm. You know, and, and at some polling stations, it took a while to be implemented. Yeah. And in terms of the, the, the redrawn district council constituencies, the geographical ones, they're considerably larger now than yes. they were previously. Do you think that that makes it more difficult for those elected to do the work that they've been elected to do? They will need a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the salary is about 37k. Uh, the current package uh, for, of payments for hiring of staff, setting up offices, not enough for covering a very large area, you know. For example, the old Pok Fulam is the Baku Villa area, Cyberport, Baku Villa, Bel Air area. Now the southern northwest covers Wafu, Wakwai estates, all these big public housing estates. In fact, if you win two blocks in one of these estates, you win the whole constituency, you know. So, um, that's why it's hard for our people to win in these large constituencies, uh, considering that we our supporters used to be uh, professional middle class people, you know. 
And in terms of turnout, I think we have to address this. It yes. was the lowest in any election since the handover. Um, John Lee this morning, during his uh, weekly meeting with the press, said that it was a good turnout because almost 1.2 million people had voted. But that represents just 27.5% of registered electors. Um, in the 2019 polls, the prior establishment camp alone won over 1.2 million votes and the pro-democracy camp won 1.67 million votes. Does this suggest that people are just less motivated to vote now that there are no diversity of voices among the candidates? Um, the turnout rate in 2019 was exceptionally high, uh, 71%. That is really very high for local level elections. Um, I think US presidential elections uh, used to be just 40-50%. You know, 71% was really unusually high because of the atmospherics at that time. Mm -hmm. People were engulfed in a frenzy, emotional frenzy, um, wanted to express their dissatisfaction with what was happening, a lot of riots at that time, you know. Um, but, but I have to say that people voted overwhelmingly in support of the pro-democracy camp, which was associated with the protests at the time? Um, I think pro-democracy, my personal opinion, is a mis misnomer. Mm -hmm. They are not really democratic in their values. Their key characteristic was anti-establishment, anti-government, anti-China. You know? um, they were not really steeped in democratic values and culture. For example, one candidate uh, whom I met face to face, who won in Tongchong North, a young man, Chinese name is Wang Zhenyang. He was arrested a few months ago for swindling old people. You know, a lot of not very ill-qualified young people just by claiming to be Democrats got elected. You know, because of the label. You know, a lot of them were not. They were young people who could not find good jobs. You know, and a job that pays thirty-seven k was enough to motivate them to call themselves Democrats. Not just Wong Chunyang, several others have been arrested for various criminal offences unrelated to national security. So 2019 was a very unusual situation. But in terms of numbers of votes cast, in 2011, 1 1.2 million turnout to votes. 2015, 1 1.46 million mm -hmm. turnout to votes. Um, so but in those years, the, the proportion was yeah. still significantly higher because there were there were fewer yeah. registered voters. Yeah, and there were a lot of immigrants. Mm -hmm. Many people emigrated. For example, Pofulam Chifu Garden, you know, where my family doctor works. Uh, whenever I went there, she told me that there have been a lot of immigrations. Uh, families uh, emigrating for education of their children, leaving behind elderly people. That neighborhood has a lot of aging population, mm. you know. And again, it's hard for them to, unless they vote early in the morning, it's hard for them to vote at night after the, the glitch. And it was raining too, you know. We haven't yet seen the breakdown of voters this year by demographic or by age, have we? Mm, no. So I think it's, it's tough to say. But I, anecdotally, at least, it appeared that elderly people tend to vote early. Yes, yes. That's uh, historically, mm -hmm. after they have their early yamcha, morning yeah. tea or early exercises, you know, uh, they would go to vote. Mm -hmm. And past experience is that the, the young people haven't got up yet on a Sunday, you know. They tend to vote later, sp uh, spend a good day, you know, and then uh, vote late in the evening. Now, uh, another unfortunate thing is um, uh, the Education Bureau has declared the day after polling day, a holiday for schools. So I've been told a lot of parents have arranged trips outside Hong Kong for the family. Yes, which was why the government put on the events on Saturday yes, 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 right, yes, yes, to, yes, to try and convince Hong Kongers to stay, yeah, to stay yeah. in the city. But you yeah. don't think that was enough? Um, enough I think the, um, the appeal to civil servants to vote probably worked better than the variety shows mm -hmm. and other events, you know. Mm. I think, for example, I heard in one uh, area in um, um, Shunli Discipline Service quarters, the turnout rate was very high. 
the disciplined service members and the families turn out to vote. Shunli, that's in the Clearwater Bay area, you know. Mm. And civil servants were repeatedly encouraged. Yes, yes, to yes, vote. yes, yes. Um, but they they were not uh, they won't be punished if if they did not. Um, so they were told, but so, they were encouraged to mm-hmm. show their card. You know. Yeah. Do you think, considering the turnout and considering the the technical failure on Sunday evening, do you consider this to have been a successful? I think it, it met the expectations of the government. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. Um, I think it was as uh, they have done it as well as they could in the circumstances. New style elections, uh, change political landscape, and uh, change uh, district boundaries. In fact, our candidates, for example, the the redrawn boundaries were gazetted only in July. You know, we haven't had a lot of time to prepare our candidates. Uh, for ex- on Hong Kong Island. Um, we fielded eight candidates. Only two of them had stood ran for election before. Six were newcomers, and one, the youngest one, twenty-five years old, he lost her to only by about six hundred votes. I think he's done remarkably well. Mm. Um, do you think that the government did a good enough job of communicating to the public the changes to this election after after the overhaul, which was approved only in July? Mm. which saw uh, the number of democratically elected seats reduced from 452 last time to 88 this time, and essentially shut out the opposition. Uh, The government um, stressed the main argument for keeping out the opposition is is patriots only. You know, Uh, chief executive said recently that um, he is glad there is no more room for traitors. But the, they didn't even get to the point where they could prove their patriotism because they didn't receive enough nominations from the, the three district committees responsible for nominating them who were stacked with pro-establishment figures. Well, the um, system, the eligibility um, verification committee, mm-hmm. there's this committee, and also the need, to, uh, the need to get nominations from the district committee members uh, who are the trusted um, um, allies of government, these are clearly the safety measures installed by government to keep out those who are untrustworthy. You know? So the chief executive has been very consistent and very candid in his argument that we have to do it because this is an important uh, plank of the governance system. And it must be for patriots only. I think he said recently, no more room for uh, park watcher, meaning the traitors. You know, and uh, the Hong Kong Macau Affairs Office also said that um, we have succeeded in keeping out external forces, yeah. agents of external forces. That was John Lee said that this morning, and I was wondering if you could, if you could address that because I'm unsure who these who these foreign forces are, who these external forces are. What their what their aim is, who they're working with in in Hong Kong, it's it's very unclear. Well, we were in Hong Kong in two nineteen. There were clearly people with a lot of resources trying to overthrow the government. But you believe that all came from, from outside Hong Kong? Yes, definitely. Yes. And you have proof? I think the the evidence will come out. One frontline policeman told me. He arrested a young woman involved in taking out bricks in Kwai Chong. And when he searched her home, there were stacks of cash and a lot of designer bags. Yeah. <laughs> and we have, no, oh, seriously, we have, you know, people, although they will not give their name, even in Wan Chai, nearby Cha Chan Tang, the cafe, cafe, local cafes told us, there were young people changing their clothes in their cafe, money changing hands. And I was told somebody's relative wore black clothes among a group of people dressed in black. And suddenly she found $3,000 in her back, in her pocket. A lot of money changed hands. And a lot of the rioters, the professionals among the rioters, they had military grade equipment. And you think that this was coming from Oh, definitely external. from outside. Definitely from outside. There hasn't yet been any proof of that. Has Trudeau been able to give proof of who killed 
the Muslim, he made accusations. He did make accusations, yeah. yeah. But people normally don't give details of the intelligence they receive unless they have to give evidence in court. But definitely there were a lot of resources, a lot of money changed hands from various sources, from various sources. Some say Taiwan, some say CIA, some say who were the billionaires who were wanted on the mainland or in Macau. There were all sorts of stories, but there were definitely a lot of resources, a lot of money changed hands. You know, the reported two million who took to the street, mm-hmm. a lot of them, I think, were truly peaceful, nonviolent, rational. Some were just young people swept away mm. in a in a, a torrent of a revolutionary fervor, but trying that, to that was very make changes. You know, but you see, even when Mrs. Lam declared she withdrew the Fugitive Offenders mm-hmm. Bill, fourteen September. The riots became more and more violent, unlike twenty years ago. Because when I think by that point, people the, the the aim had changed. People were were upset by how the police were perceived to have been treating the protesters. Well, the not a single protester had been shot by the police. At that got, point, right? Well, compared to Europe, com- compared oh, to no, West, certainly, I, I, our I, police behavior conduct was exemplary what, by what, world standards. isn't really the point here. The mm. point is. Is by that point, I, I know that she, that Miss Lam had had withdrawn the the bill. However, the the movement had had evolved. The movement had become clearly an insurgency, in my opinion, because twenty years ago, when I dealt with the national security bill, as soon as uh, my old boss, Mister Tong, said he would not uh, uh, press ahead with second reading, people went home peacefully. Mm. The protest was truly peaceful. But this time, even though the government made concessions, the protests became more and more violent. You know, if you lay siege, if you sack the legislative council, it's not a civil protest. Mm. If you surrounded the the uh, police headquarters, if you attack the police with uh, uh, bows and arrows and laser pens, and you lay siege to university campuses, that's not civil protest. But anyway. You don't want to talk about 2019. <laughs> you want to talk about something else, elections, and maybe the way yeah, forward. Well, actually, I was thinking. You just mentioned Article Twenty Three in two, yeah. 2003, so that's a great segue. Yeah. Um, I just for those unaware, Article Twenty Three of the Basic Law is uh, part of Hong Kong's mini constitution that stipulates that Hong Kong shall enact laws on its own to prohibit any act of treason, secession, sedition, subversion against the Central People's Government or theft of state secrets to prohibit foreign political organizations or bodies from conducting political activities in the region and to prohibit political organizations or bodies of the region from establishing ties with foreign political organizations or bodies. And this was something that you were, when you were Secretary for Security, this was one of your main mandates. Yeah. And it failed in 2003 and you stepped down amid those protests i understand you you tended not because of no i understand you tended your resignation before Mm. that Mm. half million march um but but five hundred thousand people turned out on july 1 2003 and recently the current security secretary chris tang has suggested that in fact foreign forces were behind that movement also which is something that john lee has distanced himself from I just wonder you I mean you were there at the time you were you were security chief then was it was it foreign forces there were foreign influences mm-hmm. you know um but uh, that's not the same as foreign intervention certainly some foreign consul generals foreign chambers of commerce have expressed uh, a lot of reservations to me expressed mm-hmm. strong views to me but, but that's, that's that's political pu- that's or, purely uh, entirely legitimate, right? Right. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call that foreign intervention or uh, foreign forces at work. You know, um, the the bill failed not really because of a mass protest, but because uh, one party defected. We lost ten votes mm. because the protests were peaceful. I was bracing myself for a three day debate in Lechko, but without ten votes, we did not have enough to go on. Liberal Party. Um, withdrew their support mm-hmm. and their members in EXCO resigned. So uh, Mr. Tong and I, we decided uh, we did not have enough votes, uh, so we have to 
um, we did not actually withdraw it at that time, just leave it. Uh, we did not resume second reading debate. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what happened. And the version I championed was actually very mild. You know, much of it was modernization of offenses like treason, uh, which we inherited from Britain. You know, from the thirteen fifty two Treason Act. You know, uh, virtually the same wording. You know, um, any acts targeting the sovereign. You know, and the uh, the the sovereign power or aiding an enemy, the three key elements. We basically did updating. You know, treason is a very old offense. Many countries have it. Sedition is a very old common law and statutory offense. Um, and um, what else? Subversion we did not have. Secession we did not have. The national security law enacted by Beijing filled these gap. It introduced the mm -hmm. offense of secession. Yeah. And, and subversion and two and new offenses uh, targeting the events of 2019. Right. You know, mm -hmm. local terrorism offenses. Because in my time, the only anti terrorism uh, laws we have were um, to um, implement the decisions of the UN Security Council, outlawing. Uh, Al Qaeda, that sort of thing, cutting off their funding, you know, that sort of thing, you know. So we did not expect uh, there to be terrorism, local terrorist uh, attacks, like sacking the legislative council or attacking the police headquarters or shooting people with bows and arrows using explosives, making explosives at home, that sort of thing. But what do you say for those, because Chief Executive John Lee has vowed now to pass Article 23 or to legislate Article Article 23 next year, um, over 20 years since, since you would have done so. And obviously now we do have the Beijing imposed national security law. We have four of those uh, offences covered. Um, what do you say to those who, who, who argue that there is now no need for Article 23? No, we all, the Beijing's national security law plucked the loopholes and created the offense of uh, subversion and secession. And uh, the government has been making use of these new legal prov provisions to prosecute, you know. So my personal opinion, I must stress this is purely my personal opinion, is that there is no need to tinker with these two new offenses until we have court rulings or comments from the courts as to whether certain provisions were inadequate or not clear enough, you know. Cases are underway. They are. There has been one successful prosecution, at least one, of um, um, secession, mm -hmm. the young man, Tong you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tong Ying Kit. The first The first, the, the first case, sentenced mm -hmm. to nine years, yeah. you know. So far, I'm not aware of any court comments that's the relevant offences were drafted uh, unsatisfactorily. So I think we should wait for cases to uh, to be resolved, to be concluded, to see how the courts think. Mm -hmm. But um, theft of state secret currently is dealt with under the Official Secrets Ordinance, again, which we inherit from the British uh, Official Secrets Act, which is very outdated. You know, very archaic, you know. Uh, so they've I, recently updated it. Yes, and very stringent, mm -hmm. you know, very tough, you know. They've expanded uh, the ambit considerably. Uh, so Singapore also had very um, much more sweeping national security law, you know. So Australia, so has Australia uh, introduced legislation a few years ago to deal with political infiltration, you know. UK also you know, agents of hostile states, you know, although they have not been, they did not name which hostile state. I think we all have an idea whom they have in mind. So Who do you think that is? Um, I think they mean China, you know. So, no, the, the, the people are, you know, different parts of the world are so interlinked by, uh, the, by the internet or by cross-border people-to-people movement that a lot of countries have become wary of external interference, political infiltration, um, uh, undue influence on their politicians or important 
organizations. For example, the U.S. prosecuted a Russian woman for um, trying to info infiltrate the National Rifle Association,、mm -hmm. you know, which is very influential, and she was charged with、uh, acting without registering as an agent of a foreign foreign country.、Mm -hmm. You know, so maybe we need all these new laws in line with other jurisdictions, right? But what do you say to those who suggest that perhaps Hong Kong is now too focused on national security at the expense of of people's well being, of of people's、uh, livelihoods? I mean, I've got kind of this is a two prong question. Crime has been going up in Hong Kong recently,、uh, largely led by online fraud. Yeah,、um, and some people have suggested that that's because the the security force is too focused on national security. And not enough, not focused enough on kind of domestic issues. And separately, John Lee last week said that that was not the case, and the people who suggested that were were using soft resistance. And I wondered if you could address this term, soft resistance, and try and try and explain what it is because it's being increasingly used by officials, and and yet is incredibly vague and ill-defined.、Um, first, I don't think the、uh, rise in cybercrime. All sorts of financial fraud, cheating old ladies, you know, has to do with the focus on national security. The police has a new national security department, and they have new resources for that, you know. So they have not redeployed their resources at the expense of day-to-day、um, uh, -day constabulary duties, you know. So I don't think uh, that um, accusation is valid. As for soft resistance. Um, I can't really speak on behalf of of the government. You know, as you say, they have not、uh, really defined it very clearly. But maybe because it's hard to define. But what they probably what do you understand soft, it to be? Problem means、um, not unlawful.、Mm. Definitely something marginal in the grey area, not against the law, so that you can't catch them, charge them with an offence. But somehow it's against government. But is in a, in a in a robust society is it not is it not beneficial to have those who who criticise the government? So、uh, yeah, I think it's important to differentiate between、um, commentary, fair commentary,、mm -hmm. fair comment, you know, fair criticisms from just anti-government sentiments. I think it depends on the motive. How is that? How do you define a person's motive, though? That's a that's an incredibly、uh, philosophical debate. Well, in criminal law, your、um, mens rea is very important.、Mm -hmm. If you do something with criminal intent, that's very important, you know. Uh, um, but uh, if you make a fair comment, say on the budget, you know, government shouldn't spend so much money on whatever, you know, light public housing.、Uh -huh. uh, that's a fair comment. You know we are entitled to our views. A lot of our colleagues have expressed reservations on spending thirty、uh, billion on light public housing. Although eventually we came round to supporting it, and maybe it's a good idea. After all, it is a good idea to help those who are truly living in abject conditions. Absolutely, the, the Absolutely. waiting list is, is, is long、yeah. and it's、yeah. grown recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my party, my、uh, our affiliates have.、Uh, I have two transitional housing projects, and I can see the children once they have moved into these more spacious uh, 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 com accommodation. They're visibly far more, far happier. You know, it's、uh, really something for the good of the people. So I don't think the government has focused on national security at the expense of the people's welfare.、Mm -hmm. In fact, the government has prioritized, you know, solving the housing problem, building public housing. Sure, it's a it's definitely a pillar of of the administration.、Mm. However, the waiting list has recently increased.、Mm. What is it? Five point three years, perhaps longer now. The average、yeah. waiting time for for those on the list for public government subsidized housing.、Uh, that's why the government needs、uh, the light public housing, which is essentially transitional housing. By yeah, 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 yeah. The difference is transitional housing、uh, uses used land. Or、uh, housing provided by voluntary agencies、mm -hmm. or developers, you know,、yeah. pending redevelopment. 
like public housing, make use of government lands. Ian Park for gymnasium or schools or whatever. Okay. Mm. Um, going back somewhat to national security, uh, mm. recently, I think last week, ratings agency Moody's downgraded Hong Kong's outlook on credit rating, saying following signs of reduced autonomy in Hong Kong's political and judiciary institutions, notably with the imposition of a national security law in 2020 and changes to Hong Kong's electoral system, Moody's expects further erosion of the city's autonomy of political, institutional and economic decisions to continue incrementally. And that was met by condemnation from the government, which you actually, and you, you kind of defended Moody's and said that you didn't think they would outright smear the government. They were a, a, um, a professional body and they would not engage in such thing. But do you think that the government's responses are automatically condemning such statements is helping the city's reputation internationally? Uh, actually, Moody's did not downgrade our credit rating. It only downgraded Hong Kong's uh, outlook, outlook. Yes, you I, know, I which is I different said. from yeah. our credit rating remains the same. Right. Moody's also downgraded the U.S. Uh, investment outlook mm -hmm. because of the heavy debts, the right. rise in national debts, you know. So um, from my own experience, the right way to deal with it is to do more explanation. Right. Uh, to tell them that uh, uh, under one country, two systems, we have an obligation to safeguard national security. And we continue to have highly independent and robust judiciary. And we have consistently upheld LGBT rights. Mm. And the courts have actually granted bail to national security suspects in many cases. Very few. Uh, at A least, handful. Yeah. Uh, at least 25. At least 25, according to the statistics I've got. Despite higher thresholds, they have also quashed the conviction against Bao Choi, the RTHK reporter, you know, mm -hmm. and they have rejected the government's application for injunctions against um, Google. No, they did not. The injunction application actually did not name anyone. It didn't, uh, no. Uh, but it's, against it will anyone be, who commit four acts. That appeal will be heard. We, we, I mean, we'll wait to, we'll wait to see. Yeah, um, yeah. Certain, okay, certainly, yes, there is some... I think we uh, ought to uh, do more engagement and right. constructive discussions. Certainly there are, you know, in terms of LGBT rights, the mm. courts, mm. the Court of Final Appeal particularly has, has upheld... All cases. Exactly, yeah, yes. All cases. However, there are, there are, you know, countless people who are sitting in, in jail at the moment, or in detention, I should say, in, on remand, uh, awaiting trial. Mm. I'm thinking about the 47 Democrats yeah. who um, have been detained, most of them, since March 2021. Their trial finally came to an end just over a week ago. We don't know when the verdict will be. So that's that's by the time the verdict comes, most of them will have been detained for more than three years. I think while you can you can you know commend the court in some cases, but international governments say that the law is not being applied equally. Well, this um, the um, what we call thirty five plus, and what the Western media call NSL forty seven case mm -hmm. is a very serious case. You know, and um, 31 pleaded guilty. Uh, the long procedures uh, is due to the common law system, the due process, inherence in the common law system, the toing and foing between the lawyers of the defendants and I the prosecution, it's a, it's a, yeah. a lot of videos, a lot of evidence mm -hmm. produced against 47 people, 31 pleaded guilty, 16 have not, yeah. you know, so the arguments, are, or every one of them have their different arguments, you know, I think the summation, some have been concluded, and yeah, they'll be has. sentencing soon. They mm. said perhaps within three to four months, but no guarantees. Mm. No, there no. are those who suggest that it might not come until after Jimmy Lai's case has been heard, which... I hope not. Due to you know. start next yeah. week and last mm. for, I think, 80 days. Mm, well, you know, uh, the 35 plus case has dragged on longer than the government, than the prosecution expected because of a lot of evidence adduced, a lot of arguments and counter arguments. You know, this situation is unprecedented for Hong Kong, whether for the police, the Justice Department or the judiciary, you know, so they have to go through the evidence very carefully. Do you think it's been too long? Uh, it's unsatisfactory uh, for the defendants 
But considering the seriousness of the case, we have to let justice run its normal course. I wanted to discuss briefly your 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 thoughts on democracy because um, you've been in you've been a politician you've been in government for decades and you've you've said a lot of things you've you've occupied several stances. I wonder where you stand now. You wrote an op-ed for Hong Kong Free Press soon after the district council um, overhaul was suggested, in which you said all of Hong Kong's democratic experiments had failed. Yeah, I think so. So I, I wonder if, so. if you if you think that we've arrived now at, at the best possible outcome for democracy in Hong Kong. I think we have been experimenting with uh, liberal democracy. You know, Britain, it hasn't ever been that liberal. Um, Britain never gave us liberal democracy. No, they didn't. But our freedoms, rights, and freedoms were guaranteed by the rule of law. We always have robust rule of law in Hong Kong. You know. Um, Britain, the British government only pushed democracy when they were about to leave. You know, I've written about this several times. They have given up the chance to introduce popular democracy at least on two occasions, you know, because the civil servant preferred to be in charge. You know? Yeah, because Don't they, were, they were concerned that the, the wrong people would, would become well, powerful. If you have mass democracy, more Chinese will be elected, you know. Um, uh, fewer elites will be in place, mm -hmm. you know. There are naturally far fewer e elites than the masses, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so but but they introduced democracy quite late in the last um, fourteen years. You know, the first elections to the legislative council, nineteen eighty five, were functional. Only the lawyers, you know, chambers yeah. of commerce, accountants, you know. It wasn't until ninety one. Yes. That the public could vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Popular election. Mm. So I had a short history. And um, Beijing inherited this model. I think during the Sino-British negotiations, there wasn't enough time to resolve the optimum political arrangement for Hong Kong. Mm. I think Beijing sincerely believed they should allow Hong Kong people greater participation. You know, after all, the buzzword was Hong Kong people rule Hong Kong. You know, they were sincere to give us greater chance, you know. But um, come 1997, um, Tong Chi my old boss, took up the job with already a fairly aggressive and independent, autonomous electrical filled with people like Emily Lau, Lee Chuk Yan, you know, but without a party of his own. It's unlike the UK parliamentary model or the presidential model, you know, it's an inchoate model, mm. half-baked, you know, neither here nor there. So he had to appoint political leaders like uh, James Teen, Zhang Yuxing, you know, to exco, you know, uh, to form a sort of coalition government, you know. But um, these elected uh, party leaders, they all have to um, keep an eye on their popular support, you know. So if a government bill like Article 23 seemed to be causing problems for them uh, in the upcoming elections, they jump boats, you know, you know. So it's been very difficult. You know, my old um, advisor, dissertation advisor, Professor Larry Diamond, yeah. his model, his project was, can the whole world become democratic? Can the whole world become a liberal democracy? Mm -hmm. But we have a lot of illiberal democracies. Yeah. We have popular democracies which are illiberal. I don't need to cite examples. There are plenty around the world, you know. You know? And the, the fact is, the more democratic Hong Kong becomes, the more polarized, the more politicized, the more populism. For example, you know, the recent district council elections, I have been consistently smeared for calling to an end to the $2 transport subsidy, which I never did. But my my opponents, you know, all from the same pro-government camp, kept repeating this, you know, uh, circulating in their... In the misinformation was yeah, right. Yeah, that Regina Yip mm. called for end of $2. So for the first time in my political career, I have angry grassroots people rushing at me to say, I won't vote for you because you're taking away my $2 concession. So smears, 
you know. But this you, is not even a particularly divide. This is among the pro-establishment camp. Yes. This isn't but even be, a polarized because you want to issue. win votes. Right. To win votes, you know. You know. You know. The U.S. You know. Uh, U.S. bracing itself for a presidential election. Everybody's worried about disinformation. Yeah. AIs. You know. Creating a Joe Biden saying something that upset everybody. These things happen. So popular democracy has its own problems increasingly. So Beijing decided. Uh, from Beijing's point of view, it would appear. I think it appeared to them that the more democratic, meaning the more popular participation, Hong Kong became more populist, more ungovernable, and more dysfunctional. So it uh, mandated a new model. A kind of what I call managed democracy, mm. under management, you know, executive led, you know, which and to, to what, those in the West does not equal democracy. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But China has its own democratic model. You know, China talks about its own whole process democracy. That um, we are not democratic on polling day only. We work for the people every day. You know. We bear the welfare of the people in mind because our legitimacy comes from the people. We have to deliver. But when you when you go out and speak to the people of Hong Kong, do you think that this is how they consider the government here? Uh, depends on whom you talk to. Young people naturally prefer government to be more liberal, more accepting of diversity, pluralism, um, less uptight, more relaxed. Allow people to have more fun, you know. Um, yeah, that sort of thing. Mm. You know, have more sense of humor. You know, young people would like that. You know, more fun-filled society. Not talking about national security every day. You know, even business community prefer to have less talk about national security. Not that they are not uh, uh, fully imbued with this duty, but they want uh, the business to come back. You know, back to the old days when we can take security for granted. And just focus on business. Hmm. You mentioned the rights and freedoms enshrined in in the basic law, and indeed also in the national security law. However, in terms of press freedom, which is something that is close to our hearts at Hong Kong Free Press, um, Hong Kong has plummeted in in the recent decades. So from 18th place globally in 2002 to 140th this year, and it really fell after the national security law was implemented um, from 80th place in 2021 to mm. 148th in 2022. And of course, in 2021, we had Apple Daily, Stan News, their newsrooms were raided by national security police. Several of their staff were arrested. Those cases are, are going through or are yet to begin in courts. Do you think that press freedom in Hong Kong is intact? Our officials repeatedly say so. Oh, these ratings, you know, are heavily influenced by Western media portrayals. You know, you know, Jimmy Lai uh, has been prosecuted and his three companies um, uh, prosecuted not because they are media outlets, but because of his offense of uh, colluding with foreign forces, that sort of thing, you know, mm. not because they are media outlets. But I think it, it, but the it Western doesn't look perception, good. I know, I know. I know the perception seems to be the 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 common way of the, the Western media is to call it a media crackdown. How, how it's not the media crackdown. Stan News was they were charged with sedition, which is mm. was about the materials mm. that they were publishing. That was mm. to do with the press, mm. and that is something that has concerned people globally. I think because it's about what there it, it appears to draw red lines around what you can and cannot publish. Uh, this is not unique to Hong Kong, you know. Uh, the offence of sedition um, is very old. Sure, it is, but I don't know anywhere else uh, that it's recently been applied to to a, a major and a, and a very popular newspaper or, or outlet. Uh, but there are limits of freedom of expression. Article 19 of the ICCPR says clearly the freedom of expression carries special duties and responsibilities and can be curtailed in accordance with the law uh, to safeguard national security, public safety, order public and um, public health and public morals, that sort of thing. 
everywhere there are certain laws circumscribing sure, sure. media freedom. For example, in the U.S., there are laws compelling uh, journalists to disclose their their source. I know at least one was uh, was um, in custody for a long time mm. for not disclosing her source, and that's Judith Miller of New York Times. You know, freedom of the me expression is never absolute. But do you think that press freedom, therefore, in Hong Kong is is intact? Uh, because of the reactivation of the offense of sedition, I know that, of course, um, um, commentators, writers, journalists have to be more careful you know, well, in writing sure, uh, to avoid being prosecuted. But there is still a lot of room for them to say what they like. I think, as, as a journalist in Hong Kong, mm. one of the... the hardest things now is to find and I really appreciate you speaking with me today because mm. it's actually much more difficult now to to find pe people to True. speak mm. because a lot of people are so afraid that they might say the wrong thing that they would rather not say anything mm. even if it's even if it's not a political topic you know even if it's a very soft topic people are very reluctant to speak that's to do with freedom of expression do people need to be worried I hope that will change mm. you know because um we activated the offense of uh, sedition only a couple of years ago. We have to wait for the court judgments to clarify the boundaries, you know, what is lawful and what is unlawful. And um, I find a lot of uh, writers continue to be very active in writing about other things. And some of them continue to be sarcastic, cynical, critical of the government. And um, they have no no problem with the law. I think gradually, when uh, these cases, the court judgments have settled down, and I think the sooner we complete an enactment of Article Twenty Three legislation, the better. Government will feel more relaxed. They have government has completed its duty. All the security mechanisms are in place. You know, so we know where the boundaries are. So people will feel more relaxed and be able to express themselves more freely. Do you think people will be able to, will, they, will these boundaries be clearly communicated? Because I think that's another criticism of the national security law is that it's, it's broad and people don't know quite. All, all quite. national security legislation provisions are broad. Mm. Look at US, the executive orders on Hong Kong, you know. Hong Kong's a threat to US national security, you know. They, they are they're never specific on how we constitute a threat. All this sort of legislation, in fact, even other legislation which proscribes certain things in the public interest, the public interest is never specifically defined. It depends on the context. Mm. Um, so, um, so I think in due course, when, we, when the cases have been completed mm -hmm. and there are more court judgments, court commentary on the courts on whether there's any need for improvements, people will gradually be able to grasp what is lawful and what is not. Mm -hmm. One more question? Oh, sure. I just wanted to touch on the fact that you're a woman in politics in Hong mm. Kong. And I think, you know, you joined the civil service in 1975. Yes. Is that correct? And you became the first female director of immigration in 1996. And then 1998, you became the first woman to be Secretary for Security, still the only woman to hold yeah. that post. Um, and you've been elected to the Legislative Council since 2008. Mm. And there just isn't there, people don't talk about women in politics in Hong Kong in the same way that they do elsewhere in the world. Um, but at the same time, you're subject to, your appearance has been subject to criticisms in a way that men would never be. Yeah. Um, I just wonder if you feel like there's not enough onus placed on women's success um, in this in this field or in in general, mm. I have got um, there have been some sexist attacks on me. I know there are also sexist attacks far more serious in Australia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, awful, awful in US too. Yeah, you know commentary on Hillary's uh, appearance and all that very bad. You know, um, actually Hong Kong relatively is better, mm -hmm. other than me. You know, my female colleagues, I don't think they are subjected to particular scrutiny as to how, how, 
what makeup they wear, what clothes they wear. And Hong Kong, in a way, is relatively civilized、mm. compared to some more macho, you know, countries. You know.、Mm. Uh, but、uh, but the fact remains because politics require a lot of time, you know, a lot of effort. In fact, a lot of sacrifice. A lot of my female colleagues in government, in the legislature, for example, a lot of them are single, or without children, or don't don't have family. You know, it's hard for them to cope. It's not easy to cope with a political career and a family.、Mm. Um, but do you think it's possible for women to quote unquote have it all?、Um, you can do it one. You can't do it at, at the、once. same time all at once.、Mm-hmm. You can do it one at a time.、Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of admiration for women leaders um, um, who are at the top and also a family of three or four children.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, one last question, if I may,、mm-hmm. sure. um, about your social media because you're one of also few. Officials to kind of have cultivated a, a, an image online, yeah. At least in the English language space,、yeah. I, I can't, I don't know about yeah, yeah. Chinese language.、Um, but do you think it? Yeah. Do you think this is important for someone such as yourself, in in who occupies the position that you do, to to be on social media and reach out to a younger audience? Yes, I think it's very important、mm-hmm. uh, to broaden my popular base. Yeah. You know, to、um, reach out to younger people. I do have. Younger supporters.、Yeah. I have more young supporters and、um, non-local supporters, you know, than a lot of my colleagues. And do you think that's because of your presence online? Yeah, social media, my writings in English,、mm. my willingness to engage,、yeah. you know, that makes a difference.、Mm-hmm. You know.、Yeah. Thank you. I Thank really you. appreciate your time. Thank you. That's it for this episode. With Executive Council Convener Regina Ip. You've been listening to Yumcha, a news podcast from Hong Kong Free Press, written, produced, and edited by me, Mercedes Hutton. HKFP is a member of the Trust Project. Find out all about our journalistic standards by visiting HongKongFP.com/ethics. And for more informative and impartial coverage, and to learn how to support our journalist-led newsroom. Visit HongKongFP.com.